you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? DJ Bucky here back on Move the Sticks. As we uh, get a little bit further away from the scouting combine and in the middle of pro day season, marching towards the 2019 NFL draft, still plenty to get to today. Buck, how you doing, man? Man, I'm good. I'm good. Like it's funny whenever you come back from the combine and you actually have the chance to sit down and and review the numbers, and you find out guys who had really good performances that you hadn't even talked about on a yeah. telecast or on a podcast or or those things, and then you kind of start mixing it together, and then you go back and you you make sure you start cross referencing things with tape, and so it's an interesting time, especially with paths to the draft coming up in a week or so. Um, you're kind of trying to get your ducks in a row so you don't. Um, change your grades just based off of what you saw on the combine, that you make sure you stay kind of tight to what you saw on the tape. Absolutely. Um, we're going to have some fun today going through uh, what we believe are the strengths and weaknesses of this class after we get a, a full, complete picture, seeing all these guys at the combine uh, for the first time, a lot of these underclassmen finding out measurables. Um, so what we think of this class as a whole, we're also going to roll some of the conversations you had with uh, some of the top players in the draft down there in Indy Buck, you got a chance to talk to Drew Locke, Daniel Jones, uh, a couple potential first-round quarterbacks, as well as uh, three uh, first-round offensive linemen in Washington State's Andre Dillard, Florida's Jawan Taylor, Oklahoma's Cody Ford. So we'll roll those conversations in just a little bit. But I, I do want to start here, just big picture, Buck, now that you got a chance to see everybody. Um, let's just start, real, real easy question here, strengths and weaknesses of this group. Man, you know, like, so I'm, I'm writing it down, and I wrote down three different position groups. At the top, I believe, obviously, the defensive line class is outstanding. Uh, D-tackles, D-ends, edges. I mean, you have everything that you want. You have a lot of depth. You have a lot of guys that would be difference makers, a lot of guys that should be day one impact players, uh, whether they're playing inside or outside. And after that, I think the second most talented position, in my estimation, is tight end. I, I think good. this tight end class is is 
Um, amazing. I think you have three guys that easily grade out as first-round picks and uh, the two Iowa guys, Hawkinson and Fant, and then Irv Smith. But then after that, I think you can find a number of guys in the second and third round that just kind of emerge as guys that are difference makers. I just think the growth that we've seen uh, in the NFL where we're seeing all these tight ends kind of begin to dominate, I think we're beginning to see more teams at the collegiate level take special athletes and put them in tight end and begin to use them as playmakers. Yeah, so I'm with you on that. If we were going to start defensively, um, I would say edge rushers, defensive tackles, those would be the top two uh, groups on the defensive side of the ball. Um, The linebacker position to me – I thought it was uh, two and barbecue, right? You had mm-hmm. uh, you had Devin Bush, Devin White uh, there at the top, and then to me it was a big drop-off now. Uh, talking about off-the-ball linebackers. Now some guys worked out really well, which is going to be interesting to go back to the tape. And even some guys that didn't work out that we didn't get to talk about, um, like, a, like a Tavai from, uh, from Hawaii who's kind of an intriguing player. So there's some intriguing options. I still think, though, you know, you get those guys in the first round. I don't know how many of these linebackers we'll see in the second round. It, it, to me, you get more into that third, fourth, fifth. That's mm-hmm. where you start to see some of the linebacker uh, value exist. Um, so that was a little bit better than I anticipated there. Safety-wise, you know, several of the top safeties didn't work out. So we didn't get a chance to see them there. But I still think when you talk about Taylor Rapp and Adderley, uh, those guys are in that, you know, borderline ones, early twos. They're in that mix there. Jonathan Abram, to me, is a solid one. Uh, he confirmed everything that we saw there. Uh, but there are some other good names there. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson uh, had, had a great workout. Uh, Darnell Savage, to me, maybe he creeps into the bottom of the second round. He was kind of in that third-round range for me. Um, so I would say um, no no uh, no premier safeties, but good depth. Like mm-hmm. second, third round, nice. Yeah, I can see that. Yes. Yeah, nice. Not bad. So then you get to the corner position, and that, to me, was the most underwhelming of the, of the defense. Like if you need a corner – I read an article by uh, by our buddy Albert Breer over at uh, MMQB when he was talking about free agents that were going to get money, and he mentioned Ronald Darby and, and the money he could fetch, and it make your jaw drop because you're like, man, I haven't seen that from Ronald Darby, that he would get paid that much money. But I think it's a direct relation to what we have in the draft. Oh, I, I believe so, and I think it's changing. I still don't know if I would throw any major money at a cornerback in today's game because I don't know how many of those guys are able to really lock it down. And then unfortunately what happens is when you pay and overpay for a corner, you, you raise your expectations, but the guy is still the same guy. It's almost like overpaying for a quarterback. Um, yeah. We saw Trumaine Johnson with the New York Jets last year get big money after playing on the franchise tag a couple times. Um, And it just didn't work out because part of what corners need is they need to be in a system that really plays to the way that their game and their talents are best utilized. And so if you don't get that and they're unable to lock up and play man-to-man or they can't play zone comfortably because they don't have the pass rush, you end up overpaying. And I think some of that uh, when you think about Marcus Peters and maybe his struggles in L.A. as opposed to being a dominant player in Kansas City, it's really important that the scheme fit matters. And so when we're looking at free agency and we're looking at the draft because we're talking about two underwhelming classes but a bunch of picks and money's going to be expended, I think it's really important now more than ever that you understand what a player can do and that you make sure that the player's talents fit exactly how you want to play the game in the back end. I'm, I'm looking at this corner group, and, um, you know, we saw some, some, some great workouts, some underwhelming workouts. To me, um, as I've got to, I've got to update my 50 tomorrow, I think it'll be posted next week, Buck, but um, in trying to slot these guys, I, mean, I said coming in, this group is all packed together. There was no separation for me. Um, I know Greedy ran well. 
Um, I, you know, before he had some cramps in the workout, I didn't think his field workout was that great. Um, but the two guys that kind of came away from there looking, saying our philosophy, I, I say our philosophy because I think mm-hmm. we're on the same page here of our double off the wall first round philosophy, Buck. Yep. Rock your sin, Byron Murphy. Yep. Doubles off the wall. I know it may, not gonna, the ceiling might be a little bit lower. Okay, I, I don't know. They're going to be all pros, but they're going to play for a long time. They're going to be where they're supposed to be. They're going to make the plays that they have an opportunity to make, and they're going to bring toughness and instincts to the table. To me, that gives you a very high floor, and I know what I'm buying uh, with Rocky Sin and Byron Murphy. I, I agree. And talking to some coaches um, at the workout and after the workout, they both mentioned those guys, and they mentioned the importance of uh, – as a coach, the one thing that you would like, you like comfort in knowing exactly what you're going to get. High, mm-hmm. low, anyway, you, you kind of talk about the floor. I know at a minimum I'm going to get this because a lot of coaches feel like I can work with that. If I know what your limitations are um, and you're going to give me consistent performance but you're limited in this area, well, I can cover that up. Uh, the thing that drives coaches crazy are the wild swings, like a very, very talented player who should be an A-level talent but some days he plays like a C talent. Other days he mm-hmm. plays like an A. And so you're trying to game plan and work around that, but you don't know. Whereas maybe a guy like a Byron Murphy or Rocky Sin, they consistently play at a B, B-plus level. Well, it's not an A, but if you're hitting like Bs and B-pluses, you can win with a bunch of Bs. And so I completely agree with you on Byron Murphy and Rocky Sin. I think when we're evaluating the corner class, it's not – as much about them being decathletes, but it's really more about them being very, very skilled and understanding how to play the position, how to incorporate themselves uh, not only into the passing game, but how to make themselves factors in the run and have enough versatility where maybe you can kick inside and play some of the slot corner if needed. So I like Byron Murphy and Rocky Sand. I would take both of those guys in the first round and feel good about taking them. We do clumps and we talk about grouping these corners. And and to me, like this is a – this is the Tredavious White uh, group. Yes. Right? That's who yes. they are. And we, we said Tredavious White, we know exactly what we're getting here. Um, he's going to be a really good player, and he has been a great player there for the Buffalo Bills. Sometimes when you think it's going to be really good in high floor, they end up even being better than that. Um, but, again, I thought Tredavious White, very little risk. We saw exactly what we needed to see from him, and it was consistent, right? We saw it from the college tape. We saw it at the Senior Bowl. We saw it at the workout. Everything matched. And Everything so that's matched. the same thing with these guys, with those two players specifically. The tape um, you saw with Rocky Sin at the Senior Bowl and then the workouts, everything looks exactly the same. Everything looks exactly the same. The one thing that we were like, man, we had the opportunity to talk to Murphy and Rocky Sin and just kind of like check off that final box about the demeanor yeah. and the personality being right. Uh then but you, I was told really it was. Answered. I was told oh, I'm, that I'm, I'm sure. was like, great. Yeah. But it's just one thing. I think the thing, like, uh, Davis White may have come in here and we talked to him. And yes. so then we had an opportunity to be like, oh, okay, man, he's rock solid. Graduated, um, graduated. mature. He was mature. He was focused about ball. He understood um, some of the nuances of playing a position, and it meant a lot to him. Once we have those conversations with Murphy and Yusin, I think you just kind of uh, rubber stamp them and put them in the B-plus category and know that they're going to be very, very good players and solid starters as – one secondary coach told me, he said, you know, there's nothing wrong with getting a Leon Hall-type player, a guy that yeah. plays for a long time, may not be the high-level starter, but is a nice number two and is a number two for 10-plus years. And so there's value to that because we all like just being comfortable. We talk about yeah. being able to hit doubles. You can win a lot of games hitting doubles. Yeah, and then uh, uh, defensively up front, one more thing, we'll move over to the offensive side of the ball. Um 
you know, I always try and come into this combine with each player. You have your uh, your checklist or maybe some concerns or questions. Can you know, it's hard. Some of these questions aren't going to get answered. Some of them are going to – the answer is no, you know. Mm-hmm. But I thought in terms of my question about a player, nobody helped himself more than Brian Burns, who oh, – yes. heard reports he was 228, right, Two twenty in the 220s. He shows up at 249, which is – and he carried it well. And then he had a phenomenal workout, not just the running. We knew he was going to run fast, but just going through the field workout and seeing him drop and do all the different things athletically that you want to see. Now – I still, you know, I still go back to the fact I did not see, you know, conversion with speed to power, and that's something you always want to see from a from a speed rusher. Can he translate that? Can he uh, generate some power as well? I did not see that. So all that does for me is I'm gonna go back, watch even more what I have, the games I haven't seen, and see if that shows up at all. Um, but man, knowing that he can carry that weight, that's encouraging. It is encouraging. And so now, you know, we talk about we get into these clusters. So now you have to have the debate. Middle of the first round, bottom of the first round. Would you rather have mm-hmm. a Jakai Polite or would you rather have a Brian Burns? Like, what, what are you more comfortable with when it comes to the edge rusher? Who, who's going to be there? What's going to be a little more consistent in your locker room? What's going to fit into the culture of what you want to get done? Those are the things that uh, scouts are trying to determine now because now that we understand all the athletic stuff, we've seen the tape, is really digging down deep and trying to get the personality and the background underway so you fully understand exactly what you're getting when you ask this guy to come into your locker room and will he fit in with the culture that you've already established. No doubt. All right, let's go over to the offensive side of the ball. Uh, let's start bad news first, then we'll, we'll uh, brighten it up a little bit with some good news. Okay. And, and I got this from a lot of people, just talking to people around too. Running back group was underwhelming, man. Like not – didn't leave there feeling great. Now, Josh Jacobs didn't work out. But, uh, you know, a bunch of these guys were, were just kind of hoping they would clean up some 40s and, and uh, maybe some speed concerns that didn't didn't really happen. Now, you have a big winner to me uh, of the group. It was a Penn State runner, Miles Sanders. He had a great For workout. Sure. He helped himself, no doubt. Uh, but overall, as a group, eh, man, I, I didn't feel didn't feel that great about what I saw out there, Buck. No, I don't know how you could feel great about it because um, they're slower. There wasn't a lot of explosiveness. I think this is kind of a, a niche position um, this year with this class. You have to have a clear plan for how you want to put these guys in the program and how you want to utilize them. They're not the A-level guys that we're used to seeing. Uh, at the top of the draft. You don't see the Christian McCaffreys, the Todd Gurley's, um, the impact No Saquon players, Barkley. No Saquon's, um, Zeke Ellis. You don't see those impact players at the top of the board. And so now uh, it may be a year where maybe we don't see a first-round running back. I know we've yeah. kind of put Josh Jacobs in that conversation. He's got to work out. He's got to show yeah. that he's healthy. You know? Yeah, but 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 maybe maybe this is a year where – was it Carlos Hyde wasn't a first-round – was Carlos yeah, Hyde a first-round pick, second-round pick? I think it was Lev, Bell, Lev Bell's year, right, too. Lev yeah, Bell like, was, uh, like we may, we may no not, Yeah, we may not see a one. And so maybe those guys end up outplaying their draft status. But on the surface, I think if I had to choose between taking a running back in the first round and looking at some of these other positions, I would opt for the other positions because I think in this class all of these guys are kind of lumped together in that second, third, fourth-round area. I, yeah. would, I would be more apt to see if I can get a, a – a, a minus B plus player at the bottom of the first round, rather than take a chance on a running back that I don't feel great about. All right, I, I want to go um, to the, to do what we did defensively. We talked about those doubles off the wall. You know exactly what you're getting, right? Mm-hmm. To me, on the offensive side of the ball, let me give you uh, uh, three names of guys where I feel like you know exactly what you're buying. Uh, Garrett Bradbury from Love NC it. State. Love him. Eric McCoy from Texas A&M. Solid. 
and Chris Lindstrom from Boston College. Mm-hmm. All three of those kids, right? Smart, tough, versatile. Um, they can play. Those guys can play different positions inside. Um, they, they're you know, all this stuff. Character-wise, is off the charts. When you get all the background, all three of these kids, they worked out well. Um, they were, they were all, all three of these guys were senior bowl guys that had really good weeks of practice at the senior bowl. Mm-hmm. So again, it, we just go through the checklist buck and it's like, there's so many, these guys have hit every mark now that maybe not going to wow you, but again, I, man, I got a starter. I don't have to, re- I'm going to put somebody in place in my lineup. I'm not going to have to replace that position for 10 years with these three guys. So years ago, the Dallas Cowboys were kind of laughed at when they took Travis Frederick at the bottom of the first round. Uh, that people couldn't understand why would they take a center there, why would they take a player. He's been nothing short of just being a very, very solid player. And even though he didn't play this year, you felt his absence because the offensive line didn't play the same. He's an all-pro. Sometimes uh, when you get into the 20s, you want to make sure that you're getting just really good football players that are going to be dependable, reliable. Uh, They're going to be there for a long time. I kind of call it the Honda Accord Toyota Camry theory like you want to get the car that's going to go for 200,000 miles all I got to do is just change the oil rotate the tires and I know that each day when I wake up I can get in the car the car is going to get me from point A to point B some of these guys these these guys that we're talking about being smart tough versatile with a high IQ and a a nice level of maturity those guys are going to be pros for a long time and you can get steady Eddie production out of those Um, a lot of drafting and good drafting isn't about the hits it's avoiding the misses. And yeah. sometimes if you can just accumulate a team with a bunch of really, really good players and then you sprinkle in a couple stars, that is more than enough to be a championship team. Just look at New England and how they've been able to do it year after year after year. No doubt. Um, so it, it, to me, those are just put them right in the fairway, uh, no doubt. Any uh, Anybody else on the offensive side of the ball? Receiver position, Buck, I thought um, actually – from thinking, man, we might not have a, a, you know, maybe there's just one or two. We'll see mm-hmm. what happens with Metcalf and Hollywood. Those look like likely first rounders, but that's probably going to be it. And I thought after the workout, it uh, it was surprisingly good. And now we're going to see some other guys' names uh, start to pop into the mix there after what we saw from, especially guys like Paris Campbell. AJ Brown had a good workout. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Debo continued. He's another one to me that's a that's your double off the wall. You know what you're getting with Debo Samuel. Um, and then, uh, you know, those guys have entered into that conversation. And then, really, depth, as we would expect. There's so yeah, many think, receivers every year, that we, all the way through the whole draft. You know, and that's funny because the receiver thing is is interesting. Um, even though Coach Holmgren went against this before when I was in Seattle, and this is also a Green Bay Packer thing, they didn't invest first-round picks in receivers because they felt like they always could find a receiver in the second and third round. They could yeah. draft and develop those guys. And when you really look at this year's class – this year's class is perfect for taking on that philosophy, finding a guy that is outside of the first round. Because I believe if we were doing the cluster buster, I think there are about six guys in that category because you talk yeah. about A.J. Brown, uh, Paris Campbell. Uh, you can think about Inkyor Harry and yeah. Yeah. some of the other guys that are right in that mix that could be in the conversation. I Riley think Ridley. Riley Ridley, Hakeem Butler. Uh, there are a yeah. number of guys that are right at that line where they could be first-rounders, but you could easily see them being guys that are picked in the first 45, first 50 picks. And so if I'm a team and I have all these guys graded together, I'm going to look at some of the other positions, uh, some of the shallower positions, get some of those guys, and then come back and maybe get my receiver in the second round. That just gave me an idea, too, on path to the draft, Buck, when we start talking about thin positions. Uh, I think we do a duet and we just sing shallow together. I'll play, <laughs> I'll play, I'll play Lady Gaga. Uh, but 
But uh, no, look, that was uh, that. What to me was the pleasant surprise uh, was the receiver group and what we saw from them. Um, that that was encouraging. There, the tackle position, man. One of the first takeaways from that is uh, this. This is let me get this off my chest here. A little mini. <laughs> it's 2019. The fact that we don't just do like a body scan to get the precise measurements of arm length is crazy to me. We give these guys all the MRIs, all that stuff. The 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 technology. I mean, look at the Madden game. They they, they put the little they put they get the whole body frame on there with the way they're able to test these guys. Why are we buying a tape measure at Walmart for four dollars and having an arbitrary way of, of of measuring arm length? It's not the scout's fault. It's impossible to be consistent in that area and to see the arm length at the Senior Bowl for these guys and the difference that you get with some of them at the combine. Makes no sense to me. Why are we still doing this? Why do we not just have a full scan where we can get a printout and see exactly what the body composition is? All right, Buck, you don't even need to respond to that. It's just something I just had to get off my chest. Okay, <laughs> uh, just something I need to do there. It's 2019. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, we should. Done. Yeah, we should be up to date with the technology, be able to get accurate measurements when it comes to some of these things: hand, arm length, all of that, even the height. All right, let's uh, let's real quick. Um, man, that was fun, fun conversation. But I do want to go and revisit some of the conversations you had with some of the top players in this year's draft class. Here's uh, Buck. Here's your visit with Drew Locke and Daniel Jones, two potential first-round quarterbacks. Here with man, one of our favorites on the Move to Six podcast, Drew Locke, quarterback from Missouri. Drew, it's all done. How's the combine for you? It is. It is all done. Um, I enjoyed the process, man. I, I think one of the parts that you know, there's a bunch of film on us running, on us throwing, and. Literally, you know, people actually think about or talk about us, our meetings, our meetings with these teams. And I think that's one of the biggest things that, you know, we did this week besides throw the ball and run a 40. But um, I thought it went really well and was just excited. It was a dream to be here one day. And sure enough, I'm I'm, I'm here. I threw and got to run a 40 uh, <laughs> quicker than I probably thought. But it, it worked out. It worked out. So the, the, the interview process, everyone is fascinated with what goes on behind the scenes. Um, how do you prepare for interviews and how are you able to kind of shift seamlessly from team to team yep. when they may be asking you different things or drawing up different stuff on the board? I think the biggest thing is just knowing your place. Um, a lot of teams want to talk about your offense. They want to know how much you retain from the year. And, you know, if you can't talk about your offense, how are you going to pick up theirs? And I think the big thing that um, people necessarily outside of, the, you know, this tight-knit circle of football is that, you know, you go into these rooms and they're going to press you. They're going to try to get you to say things that, you know, you weren't really ready for. But I think just being yourself was the biggest thing because – you don't want to go in there and be someone you're not, have them draft you and have to put that persona on for the next four years, five years that you're with them, and ten years sometimes. And you don't want to do that. You want to go in and be yourself and just have the team that, you know, wants you for you and they're going to pick you. So now that you've done, like, kind of throwing and going through the workout, how nerve-wracking is it to throw with receivers that you don't know and you don't have timing with? Yeah, it is a little different. Um, I think the hardest ball is definitely the post-corner ball. Um, guys are coming out at different levels, different speeds. My first time, you know, my hands were a little sweaty today to where I was like, wow, do I have some nerves going right now? Like, what's going on? Um, but, no, it was it was good. I, I think I think everyone out here did really well. I actually roomed with the wide receiver, so like, we talked about it a little bit coming out here, and it was just – it was good. I think it was good from everybody. So, I mean, look, you were a big-time basketball player in high school. You played in some big AAU tournaments. Were you able to use any of that experience playing on a big stage to kind of help you prepare to get ready for this big stage? Oh, for sure. When you play in front of – Coach Calpari and, and Izzo and Bill Self and you know not necessarily that they were they were there to watch me. But they're they're there. There. they were there. But they're there. <laughs> they're sitting there. Uh, there's some teams that don't need a quarterback, but they're here. Um, 
Uh, no, it, it definitely prepared me. I think just any type of big level of sport will prepare you for all the other levels of sport. It's just, you know, it was a blessing for me to be good at basketball, um, and I could, you know, bring some of it out here to the field, not necessarily like athletic stuff, but a little bit of the pressure that comes with everything. So I didn't get a chance to talk to you after the Senior Bowl. That experience, being able to play for a pro coach and a pro system with guys that you know are some of the top guys in the country, what was that experience like? Yeah, not only playing for the uh, pro coach, but you know, going through a, a Gruden camp every single day, every <laughs> single meeting, um, regardless of what situation, getting up and yelling the cadence in front of the team and, you know, Locke, we got corners over, what are you checking to? And I'm like, 58 screech, coach. Like, just, I don't know, there's a lot of pressure on you. And uh, it, it was really fun. It was really fun to be able to have that experience, get into a huddle, look guys in their eyes, call out a 15-word play. And, and, you know, I break and I'm running to the line just like, all right, he's got this, he's got this, he's got this. And everybody just goes and gets set and they're ready. It's just something special. I think that's one thing that unless you're a quarterback that ended up playing in the NFL and you just don't really understand the huddle and how just amazing it is to be in there and, like, just have guys looking in your eyes and they trust you. So let's expand on that because at Missouri, you guys were up-tempo spread team, a lot of stuff looking to the sideline, kind of going. So now you go to a real huddle where you have – verbiage and spitting it out and making sure everybody has to get everywhere and having to visualize the play how challenging is that when you haven't really had to do that before yeah it was it was a little challenging but I think I picked it up really quick probably quicker than I expected um, which first off that comes from coach Ellie and coach coach Gruden doing a great job but um, being able to like stand there outside the huddle get the play on the little headphones in your ears which was weird as well we've never had that and then go into the huddle, and you got to call it clean. You can't fumble around with your words because guys are going to be like, do you even know the play? And then they're going to go up there like, gosh, he doesn't even know the play. We're screwed. Um, so you just got to be on the P's and Q's. You got to go in there and just be be a confident guy, look everybody in their eyes. All right, we're going on one. Ready? And just get out of it. I think that was the biggest thing for me. And Coach Gruden talked about you got to speak with your eyes, speak with your hands, and speak with confidence. So it sounds like that experience really – was kind of introduction to NFL football. Um, I know you're working with Jordan Palmer and you have other quarterback gurus around. How do you continue to work on your game as you're getting ready to get ready for the National Football League? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that I have is just my arm talent, the, the weird slots I can throw from and not necessarily always be on platform to be able to throw the ball. But the big thing for me is not using that when I don't have to. I, I'm trying to get on platform as much as I can make the easy throws, get my shoulder out to everything instead of sidearm in it sometimes to where, like, that's still going to be a part of my game, a big part of my game. But I'm not trying to be 7 out of 10. I'm going to be 10 out of 10 with these throws, and that's the biggest thing for me. So running through drills that get me off platform, I'm doing a drill for 30 seconds, getting really tired with my legs to where I'm really having to get everything out there. Um, just little things like that I think are really going to help me just be better in my game coming up. So with the pro day and private workouts coming up, what what's the one thing that you want to kind of – hammer to scouts and evaluators that Drew Locke can do this really well? Yeah, I think that not that I'm just going to do something really well, but just bottom line is I'm, I'm your quarterback. I'm your franchise quarterback. I'm going to be able to come in. I'm going to be able to get around the guys. I'm going to make sure my face is around that, around that facility because no one wants a young guy coming in, getting picked early, not in the facility, not putting the work in. I'm going to be the exact opposite of what you don't want as a franchise quarterback, and I think that's the biggest thing I'm going to try to portray to these teams. Here with Daniel Jones, Duke standout, joining the MTS podcast. How was your combine experience? It was good. Um, it was a good week. You know, I, I went down to the Senior Bowl in Mobile uh, end of January, so I think that kind of helped this and, and kind of uh, getting a taste of what it's like to be in front of these coaches. And um, so that, I think that was good for me. But but this week was good. I enjoyed it, and um, you know, another step in the right direction. I think.
How much different was it from what you expected when you came in? Because we can talk about the combine leading up to it, but right. what is it really like when you're here and having to deal with the interviews and all the other stuff that you have to encounter? Yeah. Um, you know, I think the thing about this is it's very structured. It's very scheduled, uh, you know, precisely, and you're doing things back to back to back. You know, and I, I guess I expected that, but um, to me the structure of it was, was a little bit relieving in that you knew when you were going to need to be to be on and be be uh, be doing things. So, um, you know, I thought it was good. I thought it was a good week. So you have a unique background because you have guys that have really developed other guys, David Cutcliffe, then your quarterback coach, David Morris, and all those guys. What have you been able to learn from them along the way to really kind of help you get ready for the next level? I think there's a lot of things. Um, going back to Duke, uh, you know, Coach Cut and Coach Roper, I think I'm, uh, you know, prepared from a processing processing standpoint and kind of an understanding of, of playing the position in the game um, and hopefully that's prepared me you know I understand that the NFL is the next step it's a it's a um, you know even more that that way but um, I think I'm, I'm ready for it and and that's been that's been good for me but you know I think the the common theme with all those guys is just how serious they take practice being on the practice field you know I think with coach cut it always starts on the practice field uh, developing practice habits and, and that's something that uh, you know David has you know carried into his coaching and, and something that he takes very seriously. So um, I think I'll, I'll definitely carry that with me for the rest of my career. So so coming from your background, you got like admittedly you weren't a, a big time or a five star recruit. You kind of earned your way and worked your way up at and Duke and put yourself in a position to be here now. What has going the long way, the hard way, taught you to kind of get you ready to be a franchise quarterback? Um, you know, I think even back to when I was a little guy, when I was, uh, you know, Pop Warner in middle school, I was always a younger guy. I was always a, a smaller guy. Um, physically, now I'm, um, you know, in a, in a position physically to, to play, but I wasn't always that way. So I think just kind of um, growing up like that, competing like that, taught me a lot about, um, you know, toughness first and foremost, um, you know, being competitive and just kind of just kind of fighting. I think I've always had to fight. So, um, you know, hopefully now that, that physically my – I'm caught up and physically I feel like I'm in a good place um, to take this step. You know, I think those things, kind of that fight, that competitive nature, um, you know, are really what, gonna, what are going to make me successful in the NFL. Unlike some quarterbacks, you played a bunch of sports in high school, three sports standout. How did playing other sports kind of round out your game? It made you a better player overall. Um, I mean, I think it's just the will to compete. You know, every season you're competing again, um, and you're competing in a different way, but it's at the end of the day, it's it's competition. I think that's the main thing in all that. But, you know, I think there's certain skills and certain, uh, you know, movement patterns in all sports that you, um, you know, that you learn and you develop over time, and, and those carry, carry over for sure uh, back and forth. So leadership is such a big part of the quarterback position. Um, having been a guy that has led a team like Duke, um, how do you feel like you've refined your skills, and are you comfortable at this stage of your career thinking you can step into an NFL locker room and eventually be a leader of a team? I'm very, uh, I'm very comfortable with that. I think um, to me, leadership's always been about building relationships. Um, you know, making sure you understand the people you're with, and they understand you, and giving them a chance to do that. So, you know, I, I you know, I came into Duke as a walk-on, um, and you know, I redshirted that year. I started the next year, and then I was a two-year captain after that. So, you know, I, I feel comfortable earning respect of teammates and, and through that process I think um, is something I've always done well and something I think I'll do well in the NFL. Naturally most players always have someone that they look up to in the NFL that maybe they emulate or pattern their game after. Who are some of those NFL quarterbacks that you look up to and that you kind of use as your role models when it comes to playing the game? 
Uh, well, growing up in Charlotte, Jake Delone was the guy. So, so I really, really love watching Jake and those Panthers, uh, those Panthers play, and and um, so you know him. But but Peyton Manning too was, was like that for me, and and looking up to him, uh, watching him, kind of just the way he plays the game, just you know his approach to the game, his his ability to to process, and and you know I think that's really playing the position. I think that's uh, what it's all about, and and I mean I think he's kind of the model that way. So now that the combine is done. You have your pro day and a couple of few, uh, private workouts to look forward to. What are some of the things that you want to continue to work on to kind of show scouts and evaluators that you're really ready to be at the next level? Um, you know, I think um, I'll continue to work mechanically to stay compact. I think I've improved there working with David and, and um, you know, Coach Cut with that. So so that's something I'll, I'll definitely do. But, um, you know, now going back uh, to Duke here, I'll, I'll be back in Mobile next week and then I'll be back at Duke we'll, we'll work on a pro day script and kind of getting back with those guys will be a lot of fun um, you know TJ uh, Jonathan Lloyd Daniel Helm Davis Copenhaver all those guys uh, coming out uh, this class will, will be a lot of fun so I'm looking forward to getting back there and just kind of building that chemistry back well one thing we're looking forward to is watch you continue to grow uh, not only as a player but as a person thanks so much for joining the Muda Six podcast yeah thanks for having me Bucky all right, Buck. Well, look, you got a chance to talk to both those guys. Just your your biggest takeaway, the difference maybe between the two, getting a chance to visit with them. You know, Daniel Jones is a little more um, cerebral, a little more kind of thoughtful, and a little more, uh, I would say, deliberate in the way that he answers and stuff. But I came away really impressed with him because his story is different. I don't think we give him enough credit in terms of being a walk-on that becomes a – two-time captain and a starter and all those other things. Drew Locke has more personality. I think Drew Drew has been impacted and influenced by his time in AAU with a bunch of different personalities that he had to play basketball with, and I think that might serve him well uh, in the locker room. I think with these two guys, I think the thing that evaluators have to figure out, uh, do I want the guy that has a lot of talent, maybe a-plus arm talent that is probably reminiscent of a Matthew Stafford, or do I want a guy where we talk about, I know exactly what I'm getting? I think Daniel Jones is kind of the guy, I know exactly what I'm getting. He may not reach the highest heights, but I think his floor is pretty solid, and I think you know what you're getting if you get him and put him in as a starting quarterback. All right, we'll see where those guys land in the draft. Now, three three dudes I do believe are going to be locks to go in the first round, guys that will be tasked with blocking for people like Drew Locke and Daniel Jones. That's Washington State's Andre Dillard, Florida's Jawan Taylor, and Oklahoma's Cody Ford. Here's Bucky's conversation with these three guys. Here at Washington State, offensive tackle extraordinaire Andre Dillard. Andre, how has your combine experience been? It's, you know, a once-in-a-lifetime thing. It's just I feel so surreal even though I just finished. You know, it's, it's amazing. So coming into it, what were some of the things that you wanted to prove to evaluators and scouts about what, the, what you could do on the field, what you could do off the field? Yeah, I just wanted to, you know, prove myself right, prove everybody right that believe, you know, that I'm, a, you know, one of the best athletes out here. And, you know, I think I, you know, lived up to that. And I'm pretty happy with what I did. There's obviously, you know, couple things I would uh, wish I did better, but, you know, that happens. So, so in, in talking to general managers, they always talk about the challenge of scouting offensive line. When if you had to go and wear a scout's hat, what would you look for in an offensive line? Um, I definitely look for if he can move, you know, because that's like how you start every single play. Can you move to where you need to go? And then I'd look for, um, you know, aggression, you know, good feet and good hands and um, just that nastiness. So, and, and thinking about Nasty's, your background is unique and interesting to me. You didn't play football until maybe eighth grade. 
Uh, what took you so long to find your way to the game? And then did you feel like you were always playing catch up because you didn't play at an early age? Excuse me. Um, yeah, I did start late and, you know, I just wanted to start playing because, uh, you know, my dad did and I look up to him a lot and I wanted to just try the sport that he loves so much and just to say that I tried it and I thought it would make me cooler around school. So <laughs> I just wanted to give it a try, you know, and I did feel like I was playing catch up because, you know, eighth, ninth grade, my first two years, I was terrible and I felt like I was playing catch up with all the guys that have been playing since they were like six, you know, and uh, it was tough, but like, you know, a switch flipped inside of me when I hit high school and it just kind of went up from there. So you go on to Washington State and obviously everyone knows about Mike Leach and the air raid system. You guys throw the ball a ton, so it puts a lot of pressure on you. What is it like to play in a system that puts so much pressure on the offensive line to be able to hold up and pass protection? Uh, you know, we take a lot of pride in especially pass protection because we do that pretty much 85% of the time in the, every game. Uh, but, you know, uh, it just makes an athlete out of us and, you know, it's just what we're used to. So, Tim, you had a new offensive line coach, Mason Miller, come over and heard great things about him and how he impacted the offensive line and you personally. Talk a little bit about Coach Miller and what he was able to do to bring some of the best traits out of you. Yeah, he was you know, a blessing for us, uh, the whole team, the O-line. Uh, he just, you know, brought some good things with him, good vibes, good, you know, teaching lessons. And, um, you know, he was kind of a nurturing type of coach. You know, he always had his door open, always, uh, you know, explained things really thoroughly if we had questions and really wanted to make sure that he could convey the information to us in the best way that we can understand it. And, you know, he just wanted what was best for us always. So now that the combine is done, what's the next step? What are some of the things that you want to accomplish when you get to your pro day and your private workouts? Um, just continue to work uh, with some of the coaches back in Irvine where I've been training and uh, work on the things that I need some improvement on for sure and emphasize those and, you know, stay in shape and just get ready to kill pro day and go on from there. Just keep grinding. Here with Juwan Taylor from Florida. Look, man, how has your combine experience been? Uh, it's been a lot of fun. I've been enjoying it. Uh, it's a dream come true for me to come out here and compete with the best, and uh, I really enjoyed this week. You know, so in, in thinking about it, because there's a lot of anticipation prior to coming to Indianapolis, how did it live up to what you thought it was going to be prior to coming in? It definitely lived up to what I thought it would be. Uh, a lot of meetings, you know, a lot of different medical things. Uh, pretty much the workout, you know, is very intense. So I, it lived up to everything I thought it would be. Everyone always wants to know about the interview process, mm -hmm. uh, what goes on behind closed doors. How were the interviews for you? Interviews went great. You know, the teams got to know me better as a person and as a player. And, uh, you know, we just got stuff on the board and we watched film. It was fun. So, like, digging into your story, I'm mm -hmm. fascinated by the fact that as a high school junior, you weighed 390 pounds. Mm -hmm. uh, you dropped the weight so you can get a scholarship to Florida. Right. How tough was it to lose so much weight within a year? It was tough at first. Um, I lost the weight in, in two and a half months, so I lost 52 pounds in two and a half months. So, you know, I, I worked out three times a day, and it just it just started falling off. So, you know, I got more confidence as it went on. So. so when you see someone of your size that is able to move around and have the balance and the body control, most of the time those guys play left tackle. Right. Why have you always played right tackle at Florida? It wasn't my decision. I just did everything to help the team win. But, you know, I'm open to playing any position to help the team. So when you talk to teams, did you have that conversation about playing right and playing left and if you had a preference being on either side? Yes, sir. It wasn't really like uh, my preference. You know, whatever the team wants me to play, I told them I'll play it to help them win. So, you know, I play left tackle, guard, whatever they want me to play. 
So I got to ask you this because there are a lot of comparisons that people make. When you look at the NFL game, who is someone that you would say you pattern your game after? Uh, Leo Collins. I feel like me and him have the same playing style. We play nasty and aggressive and physical. So what's next for you? We have pro day coming up. We have private workouts on the horizon. What are some of the things that you want to show scouts and evaluators as you kind of close the draft process? We really just keep showing my athleticism. Uh, me, better, me as a player, you know, I have uh, more meetings coming up. So just more student of the game. Just want to show them all every aspect of me. Well, we're definitely going to be looking forward to watching you continue to grow down this process, watching you get picked on draft day. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much for joining the Move to Six podcast. Thanks for having me. Here with Oklahoma standout Cody Ford. Look, how's your combine experience been? Uh, I would say it's been very exciting uh, all week. Been getting a lot of interviews. Um, so I feel like I did great on that part, in my opinion. Uh, came out here today, performed to what I would say a, a good, good performance. Um, some things I'm going to do at Pro Day again, uh, mainly so I can keep building my stock and go from there. Um, so much of the combine experience is about the interviews. What were the interviews like for you? Was it more on the board, people just trying to get to know you? Kind of share a little bit about that experience. Um, for the majority of my interviews, it was more getting to know me. I think being that I was a young guy coming out, um, I did do some board work with a, a few teams. Um, but mainly it was just getting to know me and uh, know what I'm about. Obviously the buzz of the combine is not only about yourself, but your teammate, Kyler Murray. What is it like to play with the Heisman Trophy winner? It's exciting, you know, not playing with just one, but back-to-back -back Heisman winners. Um, I don't think many people get to say that. I'm very honored to play with both of those guys, but playing with Kyler is different. He's a great athlete, a great leader, um, and a great teammate to have on your team. You know, and, and thinking about that, because it is a unique contrast to be able to have Kyler Murray and then Baker Mayfield, who was first overall, having to protect for both of those guys. What are some of the similarities and differences between the way they play? Uh, some of the similarities would be they both like to take control of the situations um, when it's need be. Uh, another similarity is if we mess up as a line, they, they find a way to make us look good uh, getting out of the pocket. Um, one difference I would say was Kyler's not a trash talker as much as Baker, but that's the only difference I, I can come up with. You know, prior to uh, us starting the interview, you talked about going to Oklahoma and the change at offensive coordinator. Everyone has been raving about Lincoln Riley as a play caller and now as a head coach. What makes his offense so effective in your mind? The biggest thing is we buy in as players. Um, there's plays he comes up with during the game for just one team, you know, sometimes. Um, and we buy in right away. We don't never doubt his, his coaching abilities, his play calls. Um, coach Riley's a, a great coach. You definitely want him to coach your kid. Um, you know, he's a, he's a friendly coach. He's a player's coach for sure. He's fun, he's a, energetic, and he's just an all-around great guy. So for you, there's a lot of conversation about whether you should play outside a tackle, bump down inside and play guard. If you had your preference, where would you play at the next level? If it was up to me, I'm playing tackle, uh, mainly because I feel like that's where my best film is at, that's where my best ball is at. Um, but if it's need be, go to guard, I'm not going to complain at all. So we have the pro day and we have private workouts left on your calendar. What are some of the things that you would like to accomplish to kind of check off uh, when it comes to scouts evaluation, some of the questions that they may have about you? Uh, the biggest thing would be 
my upper body strength, you know, only did 19 on the bench due to a little shoulder tightness. I don't want to leave them with doubts about my upper body strength. Um, I would say I would have to work on a little more lateral quickness so I don't have that thinking I don't know how to move laterally. Um, but also, I just want them to continue to get to try to know me, uh, know what I'm about, and know that I'm a competitor. Well, we know you're a competitor because your teams have always been in the mix. Excited to watch you continue to go through this process. Thanks so much for joining the Muda Six. Thank you. All right, Buck. Well, I would just say rock solid. I mean, I think these three players are just rock solid players, and uh, whoever gets them is going to feel comfortable about that position being taken care of for the next decade. Yeah, I feel good about all of these guys. I think each of them had compelling stories. Andre Dillard, uh, not really playing ball until, like, eighth grade. Jawan Taylor, like, I asked him a question about, hey, why are you playing right tackle instead of left tackle? And he kind of made a little funny face. And so <laughs> I, I think he believes that he could be a left tackle. He could play either side. And then Cody Ford is just versatility. Um, I think him being able to play anywhere along the line. Inside, outside. Inside, flex. outside. Finally being, being able to kind of taste winning from Oklahoma, that is important. And so all these guys to me are uh, what has kind of been the theme of the, the podcast. Maybe we want to hit doubles. I think these guys are really, really solid, and I expect all of them to be longtime pros. Uh, no doubt. All right, well, there you go. That was fun, uh, fun episode today, getting a chance to look at the big picture uh, view of this draft class as well as uh, listen in to some of the conversations with some of the top players in the 2019 class. Remember, you can check out all of our videos, nfl.com slash mtsvideo or youtube.com slash NFL. Thank you so much for listening. We will have you covered here on Move the Sticks. We've got all your draft needs covered as we march towards the upcoming draft. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for downloading Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. For more, go to NFL.com slash podcasts. You go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.